Hello, friends. I'm going to give you a little peek behind the curtain when it comes to writing episodes for this podcast. I'm a clown, uh, just a silly little goose. (laughs) Uh, And people who've spent large amounts of time with me can probably attest to the fact that sometimes I will say something with such conviction, it will sound as though I have a well-thought-out point or I've done some research about the topic, and this is almost never the case. (laughs) Uh, One of my work colleagues once watched me do this and then said, thank God you hate yourself, because otherwise I think you'd have a cult and I'd probably be all in. Which is harsh, uh, but also fair. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, about 75% of the ideas for these podcast episodes come from me saying something very confidently to someone and then realizing that I have very little to back it up and thinking, shit, I must be prepared for the next time someone asks me about this one very specific thing. Uh, And thus far, no one has ever asked me about any of the things. (laughs) But now I have four seasons of a podcast and a lot of useless information about the cultural landscape. Uh, Some people become survivalists and learn to survive in the woods for days on end. I just hoard small morsels of pop culture facts so that I can survive a lull in conversation at any given dinner party. Which is how we ended up at this week's topic. I'm Alex, this is Pop Culture Boner, the podcast edition, and today I'm thinking about Juggalos. So if you can cast your mind back to 2020... (laughs) You may remember that weird, heady period where everyone was banding together to support each other and enact public health orders. It lasted for about four minutes, and it gave us a bunch of celebrities, including notable Palestinian genocide denier Gal Gadot, singing an off-key cover of Imagine like that would fix anything. (laughs) And in the midst of all that chaos, you might have seen a combination of praise and public surprise at horrorcore rap duo Insane Clown Posse's statement regarding the 2020 instalment of the annual gathering of the Juggalos. In short, the event was cancelled. The statement read in part, With tens of thousands of deaths due to the COVID-19 outbreak, we can't possibly, in good conscience, even consider trying to put on a gathering. The bottom line is that we simply refuse to risk even one Juggalo life by hosting a gathering during these troubling times. Now, this is not that out of step with everything else that was happening at this point, but people were surprised because the reputation of Insane Clown Posse is one of terrible music and gruesome lyrics, and the reputation of their fans, the Juggalos, is one of cult-like loyalty, poverty, violence, and drug use. So, when the band came out with a cohesive statement that aligned with public health orders and expressed concern for human life, the American media class was awash with awe and praise. They were interviewed by several large music publications, and some profiles were written which generated quotes that revealed, shock horror, that not only were the band complex people, but that they had thoughts on the world that weren't destructive or exclusionary. I shared some of these quotes with a friend of mine and joked that it was time for reparative juggalo studies, 
And because my primary memories of Insane Clown Posse and the Juggalos was their song Miracles that went viral in 2009 for the iconic line, fucking magnets. How do they work? Fucking magnets, how do they work? It's a great question. Uh, But I did think that can't be all there is to them. (laughs) So then I read some writing on the Juggalos and I was shocked to find that everything that's ever been written about them is fucking stupid. And I got really annoyed about classism, policing, and the American legal system. And guess what? I'm about to make that your problem. (laughs) I thought we could take a little poke around the history of the Insane Clown Posse, their fans' classification as a gang by the FBI, and their radical approach to humanity and inclusivity. Let's get into it, shall we? For a little bit of background... Insane Clown Posse formed in Detroit in 1989 as a white gangster rap duo made up of childhood best friends Violent J and Shaggy 2Dope. They're best known for their horror-inspired lyrics, elaborate stage shows, and wearing distinctive clown grease paint as part of every performance. All of their music is thematically centred around a dark carnival, and each album is referred to as a Joker's card that builds on the narrative of specific characters from the carnival mythology. Violent J and Shaggy 2Dope both grew up poor and their music often incorporates stories of abuse, poverty and neglect, which are heavily drawn from their own life pre-fame and then sensationalised through their characters. This obviously touches something in their fan base and their natural showmanship has meant that they have continuously built on the pieces of their performance that resonated most with their audiences. They started to develop a cult-like following and fans were dubbed The Juggalos after a 1994 performance of the band's song The Juggler, where Violent J used the word to refer to the crowd, who by all accounts lost their mind over it. The first gathering of The Juggalos was held in 2000 and it featured Juggalo Championship Wrestling and a particularly rowdy performance by Insane Clown Posse that resulted in the venue shutting them down. By the next year, the gathering had expanded to feature outside acts, including rappers like 3-6 Mafia and Bone Thugs and Harmony, and punk acts like the Suicide Machines. As the gathering has grown annually, so has the reputation of the Juggalos. Their distinctive style has morphed them into a sort of cultural shorthand for poor, white, and undereducated. Despite having limited chart success and remaining almost exclusively an underground act, Insane Clown Posse, and by extension their fans, have become synonymous in the pop mainstream with the eccentric rituals associated with attending a concert. That includes things like donning face paint, being sprayed with the off-brand soda Fago, greeting each other with the phrase whoop whoop, and referring to their motley crew as a family with unrivaled sincerity. They really mean it. Despite writing horror show lyrics about death by hatchet, including a murder-based version of the cha-cha slide that went viral on TikTok recently. All right, pull your hatchets out. Insane Clown Posse preaches a kind of radical acceptance of each other and of the wider community. In amongst the carnage, they have lyrics that oppose racism, bigotry, domestic violence, and child abuse. For example, the song Your Rebel Flag off their 1992 album Carnival of Carnage is about killing racists. Uh, It ends with a threat to scalp a skinhead and take a shit on the Confederate flag. And every now and then someone will resurface the band's merch that says fuck your rebel flag in large red text, accompanied by an image of an evil clown burning said flag. 
In the wake of the Black Lives Matter protests in 2020, the band actually brought back a reprint of the shirt. Now, is it my cup of musical tea? No, but the shirt rules. (laughs) And were they like two decades ahead of their time for the mainstream flag-based culture war we keep having to have for some goddamn reason? Yes, they were. They have a deeply caring approach to their work and their fan base that often shocks people when it breaches the mainstream. And I think part of this surprise stems from an ingrained classism that people don't acknowledge enough when they talk about Juggalos. The band's fan base, in spite of their inclusive doctrine, has remained largely poor and white, though it is interspersed with some more diverse members depending on location. Though they hail from Detroit, the bulk of their fan base sits in pockets of rural America, which is why you'll often see the gathering being held in places like Ohio or Oklahoma. With that demographic makeup comes certain assumptions about the nature of juggalo beliefs. Rural poverty is often associated with racism, homophobia, and closed-mindedness, and those assumptions often come from a mighty tower of enlightened middle-class superiority that refuses to acknowledge that its own shortcomings are similar, even if they're dressed up in a veneer of the correct language and self-satisfied liberal positioning. One of the things that initially got me interested in looking into the Juggalos for an episode is a wide-ranging interview that Violent J gave to Stereogum. It's been shared repeatedly with the same kind of awe that a lot of people had at the COVID-19 statement, specifically because of Violent J's discussion of the band's early homophobia. A lot of the context gets stripped out of the pieces that are screenshotted for sharing, so I'm going to give you a quick summary because I think it's important. At one point, the interviewer brings up the group's collaboration with 3-6 Mafia in the year 2000, and unprompted, Violent J mentions that he has mixed feelings about the song because he's proud of the collaboration, but he's embarrassed by the lyrical content. And the interviewer, perhaps tellingly, asks if he's referring to the fact that he opens his verse by threatening to stab someone with an umbrella. And Violent J says no. The thing he's actually embarrassed about is that he makes a racially insensitive joke about children starving in Ethiopia. The interviewer, again, tellingly, says that he'd never considered that particular element of the song. Violent J says he's ashamed of the comments before, again, unprompted, moving on to talk about the group's homophobia. In their early days, they liberally used homophobic slurs to reference people they didn't like, and they even entered into a notorious feud with Eminem, which involved both parties implying that the other was gay. Now, a lot of baby queers I know don't remember, and it's hard to picture because the needle has actually moved quite a lot culturally, but this was the year 2000. So even when slurs weren't involved, (laughs) implying that someone else sucked dick in their downtime was enough to be a phenomenal insult. Really highbrow stuff. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, he mentions that the homophobia was so normalized for them at that point that even though their producer was gay, it didn't occur to them to knock it off. It's worth reading the full quote here because I think it speaks a lot to the juggalo philosophy as laid out by the insane clown posse. He says, The amount of gay jugglers out there is really surprising. I think about them doing their research and getting the old records and getting really excited about it and getting their hearts broke or something, you know? I tell my daughter, for the rest of your life, when your friends ask why your dad said that, say it's because your dad was a fool. Don't defend me. Say that I was a fool then, but I'm not now. 
There's no excuse. I was going with the flow. And that's the very thing we preach against, being a sheep. And that's what I was doing. The interviewer tries to give Violent J an out uh, by saying, it's really cool to hear you grappling with it, though. And Violent J doubles down by saying, it's not cool. It shouldn't even be an issue. We're smarter than that. As jugglers, we're not judgmental. It's a terrible thing. Now, like I said, these quotes have been pretty widely shared, I think because this feels like a contradiction to people. Because when people think of insane clown posse fans, they've immediately pictured a poor white kid in rural Ohio calling them a homophobic slur before whooping off into the distance. But as something of an expert in the genre, I think this is maybe the best celebrity apology I've ever seen. It's come forth unprompted. No one's trying to cancel insane clown posse. The mainstream isn't even thinking about them. It's just extremely caring, loving, and earnest. Violent J pictured some gay kids trying to connect with their music and become part of the Juggalo family, realized that they might not be able to because of something he'd done, thought about it, and not only corrected course, but refused to accept being let off the hook by someone unaffected by his words. In a world awash with notes app apologies prompted by bad behaviour being resurfaced in the media, this is sincerity that appears to be motivated exclusively by care for the people that idolise them. Their philosophy for being a juggalo is based on absolute acceptance of people, no matter their circumstance. And this was an active choice born of their own poverty that they've continued to build on by ensuring that their fan base knows that they are cared for and part of something larger. So, with all that niceness, you're perhaps wondering where my irritation at the American legal system and policing comes in. Enter the National Gang Intelligence Center, or the NGIC, which was formed by the FBI in 2005. The NGIC is a multi-agency effort that serves as a centralized intelligence resource for gang information. Juggalos were on their radar, and in 2011, the NGIC included them in their annual National Gang Threat Assessment. Juggalos are now legally recognized as a gang in Arizona, Utah, California, and Pennsylvania. I want us to take a pause here to think about our understanding of the word gang. Merriam-Webster defines the word gang as a group of persons working to unlawful or antisocial ends, or a group of persons working together. That's a pretty loose definition. Uh, I think the average person is probably picturing something like the Crips or the Bloods, or a bikey gang like the Hells Angels or the Rebels. Even if your understanding of those gangs and their founding is tainted by too much propaganda for me to get through in 20 minutes, I think we can all agree that to do the sort of drug dealing and territory warring that's portrayed in things like crime shows, which are ostensibly based on actual gang activity, gangs need to be reasonably unified and organized. Getting people high requires like a weird amount of admin, you know? So that seems like a pretty reasonable way to think about a gang, right? Wrong, according to the FBI and the NGIC. The 2011 National Gang Threat Assessment Report says, quote, most crimes committed by juggalos are sporadic, disorganized, individualistic, and often involve simple assault, personal drug use and possession, petty theft, and vandalism. Now, you might be wondering, 
Alex, if the crimes are sporadic, disorganized, and individualistic, and mostly involve things like personal drug use, are these perhaps not just crimes rather than gang activities? And perhaps, Alex, are these not crimes that are often associated with the kind of poverty we know juggalos experience? Oh, don't worry. The report's got you covered in the next sentence. Quote, Open source reporting suggests that a small number of jugglers are forming more organized subsets and engaging in more gang-like criminal activity, such as felony assault, thefts, robberies, and drug sales. Oh, great. Thank God there's open source reporting to back this up. What are the open sources, I wonder? Well, that would be a combination of news media reporting and inter-law enforcement agencies say so. And boy, howdy, have they uncovered some crimes. For example, in Arizona, a group of unhoused youths had organized and called themselves juggalos. In fact, according to the report, large numbers of transient or unhoused people had been identifying as juggalos, and that made them more dangerous because they could move on and, quote, have access to a support system wherever they go. Oh no, people have been failed by the state and are turning to each other for mutual aid in times of crisis. The horror. (laughs) Now look, not all juggalos are saints. The insane clown posse aren't saints. Having grown up in poverty and become involved at a young age in some street crime, both band members have been arrested at various points over the years. Violent J spent 90 days in prison at the beginning of his career, and both band members and their entourage were arrested for a brawl in a Waffle House in the early 2000s. Likewise, various jugglers have committed crimes on an individual level. A couple of other sections of the report refer to murders or violent assaults committed by jugglers. Now, the report has sources, and I tried to track down the ones that were from the news media, as opposed to ones that are listed as just being from an informant. After a cursory search, I could only find two reports that were still available, and in both cases, the crimes were interpersonal disputes that escalated. In one of the examples, the reason the media report exists in the first place is because the state prosecutors were planning on seeking so-called gang enhancements to extend one of the defendant's sentences because he identified as a juggalo during the interview and had the insane clown posse's hatchet man logo tattooed on his arm. Now, call me crazy, (laughs) but it does seem like something of a loop for police to be using a report about police wanting to classify juggalos as a gang in order to provide evidence for the report where they seek to classify juggalos as a gang. In fact, the Insane Clown Posse's lawyer agrees with me. Discussing the suit filed in association with the American Civil Liberties Union, or the ACLU, Against the FBI to challenge the gang designation, Faris Haddad had this to say about the information that was provided to the legal team by the agency. Quote, The first thing we received from the FBI, which was the main thing that they gave us, was about 20 to 30 internet articles. It was almost as if you gave the assignment to a high school student and they just went online and printed out a few articles as evidence. Which is... Horrifying when you think about the potential that gang affiliation has to cause real-world harm for people. 
They can end up in a gang database, which can subject them to more intense and continued scrutiny from law enforcement for the rest of their life. They can be denied housing and employment or have their children taken away. Simple things like wearing an insane clown posse t-shirt or having a band tattoo can characterize you as someone to be feared to a jittery and armed police officer. Travis Linneman and Bill McClanahan outline how the concept of a gang is established in the public consciousness and reinforced by academics, news media, and law enforcement, who they refer to as gang talkers. They write, quote, The power of the gang talker, then, a power that establishes, reifies, and nurtures the fundamental power of police, is in its ability to craft a digestible and repeatable classification, and then communicate that classification socially until it is made real by the police power in moments of confrontation, hunt, capture, or death. In other words, by classifying jugglers as a gang, the police are ensuring that they continue to create the circumstances in which they are able to accuse jugglers of engaging in gang activity. Recently, the Sixth Circuit Court upheld the classification in the ACLU suit because the Insane Clown Posse and the ACLU have supposedly failed to provide proof that the gang label is harming them. And that result stems from the fact that very few people are willing to challenge whether gangs or gang behaviour, as defined by the FBI, exists at all. In one paper that I read where the authors went out to talk to juggalos at a march, the authors concluded that even though the jugglers appeared to be pretty peaceful, they could still be classified as a gang because they engaged in violent behaviour, smoked weed, and performed gang identifiers by making signs with their hands and wearing gang colours and symbols. The researchers do clarify that by violent behaviour, they mean that the crowd started a mosh pit during the concert. And by gang identifiers, they mean that fans were making the letters J and L for Juggalo Love with their fingers and wearing insane clown posse merch. By this definition, we have to start arresting every K-pop boy band member who's throwing up finger hearts at their fans and me right now for wearing a t-shirt for a band that I like. We also have to start raiding sports bars on game day and stadiums during concerts and probably the homes of people who are deaf or hard of hearing because their hands are moving just too goddamn much. If this is the kind of high-level police work that we're engaging with, where a band and their fans can be criminalised overnight on the basis of being too proud of being poor and too keen to help each other out, then picture what that means for every minority group throughout history. Think of everything you've ever been told about crime and who's committing it and try to engage critically. Like Violent J said, you don't want to be a sheep and there's nothing more sheep-like than being a bigot. Well, I got a little heated there at the end, so I thought I would leave you in the outro with this very charming anecdote from Violent J's autobiography. When he was little, he caught a butterfly with his brother, and it died in the night, and the pair were so devastated that they held a funeral and they made a vow to each other. The vow was, quote, One day we will make it into heaven so that we can make sure that the butterfly made it too, and so that we can apologize to the butterfly face to face. If insects aren't allowed into heaven, 
we would ask to change the policy on the butterfly's behalf, <laughs> which is very cute. And then since then, every major accomplishment, including every Insane Clown Posse album, is dedicated to the butterfly. He says, quote, I made that vow when I was as pure as I could be, before the world got to me, when the only thoughts that I had were my own and in my heart. I cannot let the world fuck me up so bad that I lose faith in that vow. Anyway, uh, I didn't expect to cry reading a Juggalo autobiography, but here we are. <laughs> if you would like to cry about Juggalos as well, uh, give me a whoop whoop next time you see me in the pub. Peace. This episode of Pop Culture Burner was written and recorded by Alex Johnson and produced and edited by Wesley Fay. The theme song is also by Wesley. Check out popcultureburner.com for full episode notes and sources. Special thanks for this week's episode go to fucking magnets. How do they work? Pop Culture Burner is produced on the stolen lands of the Wongal and Wurundjeri Woiwurrung peoples and we honour and respect them and all First Peoples as the traditional custodians of the lands we live and work on. Who among us has not been involved in a brawl in a Waffle House?